Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. It is difficult to know the true character of a man until he is tested. In fact, in some ways, it's difficult for the man to really know himself until times of testing. And while Abraham had had his difficulties, he had never experienced anything like what we find in Genesis 22. The chapter records Abraham's ready obedience to God's command, his journey to Moriah with his son Isaac, and then divine intervention to prevent the death of his son, while at the same time giving a fresh revelation of God's covenant promises. Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 19 give us more details that you should check for yourself. As you look at the opening two verses, it's often the case that I think we imagine a fairly young boy in the person of Isaac, when the actual fact is he's probably at least in his 20s. The age range that you find among scholars is usually between 18 to 37, so this is far from a young boy. This is a young man, full of strength and vigour. We're told that God tempts or tests Abraham concerning his quote-unquote only son. The idea of that word is that this is his special or unique son. As shocking as the idea of child sacrifice appears to us, it would not have been as shocking to Abraham. Child sacrifice would have been common in that era, just as it has been for centuries. But in this chapter, what we find is ultimately a countercultural uh, experience in which God underlines the fact that he is not interested in child sacrifice. So it's important for us to see it in that light. In verses 3 through 5, we find Abraham immediately responding to God's command. He rises up early and heads on his way. And I just want to think about that, the, the, the sense of no delay in Abraham in obeying this command. It's, it's quite stunning, but what we find from the chapter, if we analyse it carefully, as well as Hebrews 11, we see here's a man who's acting on his convictions. For example, in verse 5, you have Abraham speaking to his young men, reassuring them that both he and Isaac will return to them again. This is language of faith. And so in verse 6, Abraham and Isaac head off together. Perhaps this was a common scene, one that had happened many times as Abraham taught his son Isaac, how to worship God. So this would have felt familiar to Isaac, at least in some respects. However, in verse 7, you see Isaac knows that something is missing. Where is the lamb? I imagine here in this scene, Abraham beginning to explain to Isaac, not just what's going on, but perhaps beforehand, telling the backstory to this moment. He would be explaining to him how God had been faithful to him all through the years, how despite the impossibility of Isaac being born, God stayed faithful to his word, and how God had bound up certain promises in Isaac, and they must be fulfilled because God doesn't lie. So I don't want you to picture as you read this some 13-year-old boy laying upon an altar, completely oblivious to what's going on. Here's a young man, as I say, probably in his 20s, maybe even a little older, and he is understanding what his father has been called to do, and he is voluntarily entering into it with the same faith 
as his father, trusting the same God. And so in verses 9 through 14, we have this memorable scene. Both men prepared to obey God. And at the moment that Abraham is evidencing his willingness to follow through, as he, you can just see him just trusting that God will raise him from the dead, the angel of the Lord appears, and again, probably a revelation of the Son of God, and intervenes and stops him in his tracks. And so perhaps having gathered himself together a little, Abraham looks around, sees a ram, realizes that that ram is there by an act of divine providence. He takes that ram, offers it as a sacrifice, there declares another name for God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Following the event in verses 15 through 19, once again the angel of the Lord appears unto Abraham. The Son of God comes to him with a further revelation of his covenant promises, adding to them this idea that his seed will possess the gate of his enemies. The sense is that his seed will conquer their enemies. The final few verses from verse 20 through 24 detail to us the children of Abraham's brother Nahor. Now most understand this to be revealing how God in the background is preparing a, a wife for Isaac. But I think it's more than that. I think also we are to see here that on the one side you have Abraham with just one only son and Nahor who has 12 sons and while it would appear that God has blessed Nahor more and that his seed should succeed, uh, the contrary is true. By faith, we believe that through this one child, there will be victory, that God will accomplish his purposes, bringing glory to his name through what appears more weak and more fragile. And so we come to application one, God reserves the right to test his people. Abraham, it would appear, was living a rather comfortable life during the early childhood years of Isaac. And out of nowhere, it seems, God comes and, and rattles him to the core. Now, just on the surface, we see God reserves the right to do that with any of his children. Remember, anyone can gather on a Sunday and sing at the top of their lungs and appear to be Christian, but it's not until God tests our professed devotion that we see that the root of the matter is actually there and we prove to the world that our faith is genuine. Two, when it seems that God is asking too much from us, it is at that moment he intends something great for us. Abraham understood this and so he followed through even though he was being asked for the life of his son. Always remember that. When God is asking for something great, it's because he intends to give something great. And what Abraham received from God was a revelation of the gospel unlike anything else he had ever seen. As he sees depicted here, truths of substitutionary atonement, God providing, God stepping in and showing his love for his people. Three, take yourself to the cross every time you have a decision to make that isn't evidently clear from the scriptures. In verse 14, we have a proverbial statement where it says, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the sense appears to be kind of like the experience of Asaph in Psalm 73 when he's distraught and can't understand the prosperity of the wicked until he goes to the house of the Lord, until he goes up to the sanctuary. It's from that perspective, 
in worshiping God and being near to God that he begins to see more clearly. In this case, I'm saying go to the place of sacrifice, go to Calvary, go and gaze upon the cross, and from there make the tough decisions of life when you're not sure what to do. Four, God will provide. That's the meaning of Jehovah Jireh. However, let me just put a caveat in there. Often that is given to people or appropriated by people in relation to material things. And so we go through some financial distress and then we say to ourselves, God will provide, or someone else says, God will provide, Jehovah Jireh, whatever. The thing is, that's in the context of gospel provision. Now, since God has given us his son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? There's a sense in which he will take care of all other aspects of our lives since he has given us his son. But just be careful. I think it's almost blasphemous to first apply Jehovah Jireh to material things, skipping over the primary need of men, the need of the gospel and salvation. Five, children, do you know the gospel as well as Isaac? Now, he's a young man here, but he clearly had been taught by his father Abraham concerning the gospel. His immediate question looking at the scene was, where is the lamb? This is a young man that understands that without the lamb, there's no reconciliation, there's no salvation, there's no forgiveness of sin. And I wonder, children, do you understand that as well? Finally, just to point out an aspect concerning the gospel, because there's some variation of idea and opinion here. Some see Isaac as representing Jesus Christ who comes and dies, although Isaac is spared, and in that it reflects his resurrection. Others see Isaac as reflecting the Israel of God who ought to die for their sins, but then there's a ram that's put in his place, and that ram then is pointing to Christ taking the place of his people and dying there. Whatever the case, this chapter is full of the gospel and we should revel in it, meditate upon it, see the little details that I haven't pointed out that show us the significance of God revealing to Abraham here what he intends to do 